Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, baby girl. How's it going? It's Christmas Eve in the city. Is that a song? No, I just made it up because my voice is just beautiful, and I thought I would give our listeners the gift of this voice. What a gift. What a gift indeed. Man, that's, uh, <laughs> if you wanted anything else special this Christmas season, you just got it, folks. I mean, no gift your family will give you could ever top that. It's funny, I was starting to think about singing too, and I was like, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, at least mine was an original. Yeah, it was. It was original. There's a good reason nobody's made that song, probably. <laughs> so, But hey, maybe next year we can record it. Yeah, so. This, uh, it's Christmas Eve, folks. We're yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's important, you know, to to mention, you know, this isn't a, a happy season for everybody, you know. So if you're struggling with stuff, you reach out to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people out there that definitely want to help. So, um, but you know, it's 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 a lot of thinking about family. You know, there's a lot of people where they think about the losing loved ones and things of that nature, which is for totally sure. totally natural and part of the human condition. You know, we think of the people we used to have, whether it was losing them around Christmas time or just. Just them not being here with us at Christmas. And, you know, Christmas is a lot of pressure. And, you know, we want to make it perfect for our children if you have them. It's it's a hectic time of year. A lot of commercialization. We went to Target yesterday, me and the kids, to get Allison something to open because she... um, Oh, yeah, I guess that was a secret. But uh, I told the kids. So it's very important for your mother to open something on Christmas, okay? It doesn't have to be expensive. It's just something. Open something on Christmas. Oh, thank you so much for getting me something to open on Christmas. Boy, you spoil me so. Here's the problem. You think that everybody thinks the exact same way. Like, of course you want to open something on Christmas. Like, anything... Yeah, sure. Obviously, you want a present rather than not having a present, right? Who's not opening a present on Christmas if you're celebrating Christmas? Well, some people, they don't have the money. That's okay. But it, thanks for going there, Allison. But um, I don't know. It, it is nice. But you also, like, it's not about the, the material of it. It's not about what you get in there. It's more about the opening. And I think that makes you so happy. That well, it's fun to see what's going to be inside the, the present, but I much prefer giving a gift rather than opening. Oh, I call BS. I promise you so much. No when way. I get somebody the perfect gift, it excites the heck out of me. Me looking forward to Christmas, it's never about what I'm opening. Okay. I Like Reese asked, our daughter asked me, she's like, what are you really hoping for for Christmas? I'm like, I don't have any idea. I don't, I didn't ask for anything really. Yeah. I don't really care. Yeah. It's like, I don't care. Truly, I, want, I don't. I want to make others happy too. So yeah. that's good. We're, we're equal in that area. Yeah. Glad so we take your smug ass and shove it. What's your favorite uh, Christmas commercial? Have you ever seen that one that uh, the Folgers one, which in, incestual, that one that they yeah, talk with about? Yeah. The brother and the sister. Yeah. Where the brother comes home and she's like, my brother. Mm. And then they have that like little kind of conversation in the kitchen. And she kind of looks at him knowingly like, yeah, we're, it's we're a little friendly. strange, yeah. but no, nowadays I don't watch commercials. So it's hard for me to even say. Um, Publix down here has some pretty good commercials. They, yeah, it's our grocery store, and they pull at your heartstrings. Yeah, I would say I get a little teary-eyed every single year because it's always like somebody coming home or missing someone or like a combination of both or something. And uh, by golly, they do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but And then the <laughs> Kroger tried to do like the same thing, but with cartoons. Yeah, it's like it doesn't hit the same <laughs> note when it's a cartoon. It's this little like, you know, little claymation guy walking in. It's like, no, we can't connect with those as human beings. I mean, don't get me wrong i've definitely cried over cartoons but yeah sure it just doesn't hit the same yeah so yeah today is all about we're recording this a day early and just getting ready lots of food prep all the gifts are wrapped and all that good stuff but just lots of food prep and i always have to say to mike are you going to focus and help me are you going to help me today mike is the answer ever no that's what i'd like to know you're like a gnat that buzzes away at the slight you know shadow of movement to your right correct i agree with that but 
has the, has you have you been bringing it up beforehand ever helped that situation ever it it helps mentally prepare me for like, what what i'm gonna get out of you today we go through the same exercise for literally every single holiday or anytime like food prep is necessary like okay tomorrow you will help and i'm like well yeah i'm gonna help that's the idea i've never said no ever. no you've never said no but you're very easily distracted even before this episode i had to ask you 75 times are, are you about ready to get started well because our, our son was asking questions that were i had like a parental time you know yeah, that parental time can be held for another time now is not the time we yeah. can be parents another time <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's take care of the people they want what they want <laughs> those damn kids can wait right exactly if there's one like slogan we can go by it's the kids can wait the kids can wait right we you know we're here for our listeners mike absolutely our listeners come first yeah i, I agree with that <laughs> so uh we appreciate you and if you really love what you're hearing um you know this holiday season uh support a little mom and pop podcast like the crime and coffee couple i'm ma yeah and i'm pa nice to meet you <laughs> so uh, you can refer to me as pa or mike or papa or <laughs> papa peepaw Peepaw Mike. Yeah, any of those things. And just uh, click on the link in our show notes. If we ever talk about anything on the show, like a lot of people were asking about um, the cookie recipe from last week. Oh, so uh, good. Go look at the show notes. They're in there. Or you can DM us on Instagram. So yeah. either way, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. But um, yeah, go to the show notes right now. Go look at Patreon. Five bucks, 10 bucks, 25 bucks. There's a couple different levels. And we might have more things coming out next year. We will have more things coming out next year. We have it ready to be announced. And we're going to do that in the new year. We are. So mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Get those gear turning and we will get started here but we just wanted to say thank you for tuning in and if you celebrate the holiday or your christmas you know we're just wishing you all a very merry christmas and we just hope that you're all safe and happy amen so here we go are you ready Mike? i'm ready all right so this is a tough one it happens at christmas time this is called the christmas cabin nightmare so it was nearly christmas of 1990 and sisters this is 20 year old Lene teed and her 16 year old sister trish They were excited to be spending the holidays with their family in their Utah cabin in the mountains. And when I saw this cabin, I immediately thought of you, Mike, because... You love the mountains. Absolutely. I must have like some brethren that were in the mountains or woods or something. And man alive, do I love the mountains, which makes a lot of sense that we live in Florida because oh, yeah. it's so mountainous here. Very, very mountainous That's here. sarcasm. This yeah. is the second flattest place in America, basically. And the first is? Illinois, where and we where used to And where did we come from? Illinois, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So as soon as I saw this scenery, I thought of Mike because of the mountains, and it is just incredibly beautiful absolutely beautiful there's really this would be the perfect place to spend christmas so it was in the mountains in weber canyon near oakley and again this is utah so the house was a respite from the typical daily grind and a quiet getaway so it's very remote it was two miles from the road they had nicknamed their cabin teed's tranquility oh they owned it they owned it this was theirs and they named it this because of the peace and solitude it offered the location was so remote that it could only be reached by snowmobile in the winter after the snow blanketed the ground. Wow, that is remote. So it looked like there was a parking lot for the area cabins. In the winter, you would park your car there and then snowmobile to your location. That's so friggin' cool. Amazing. And we all need to get away from the da- daily grind sometimes and just like get away from it all. And this would have been the place. Yeah, like I need to be forced off the internet sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great reset. And of course, this is 1990 before the internet was a thing but nowadays of course we do so the family considered their cabin heaven on earth that's what they called it because it was such an escape from reality and a place to gather with family 
Lene later told her mom, 49-year-old Kay Tidwell-Teed, and her grandmother, 76-year-old Beth Tidwell-Potts, she said that they had done the perfect job in decorating the cabin because, of course, they're away from their home, spending it at the cabin. They made it perfect for Christmas. There was a large Christmas tree set up. Their stockings were hung on the mantle. By chimney with care. Yes, it was just perfect. So on December 22nd, it was two days before Christmas Eve, and they were having family up at the cabin, so they were making last-minute preparations, and they headed out to run some last-minute errands in Salt Lake City. Little did they know that as they were excitedly shopping and imagining the family that was coming up and what lay ahead for the holidays, that two men had broken into their cabin and were lying in wait. Wow, so these people were like targeting them. They basically. weren't necessarily targeting them. But somebody. They were targeting somebody. Wow. So 25-year-old Von Lester Taylor and 21-year-old Stephen Deli were par- parolees who should have been out job hunting. So their situation was they were in like a halfway type house where they were allowed to go out and find a job. And when they did, they didn't go out to look for a job. They escaped. So they had been out on the run for more than a week from the halfway house that they had left on December 14th. Delhi had been in prison for five years for arson, while Taylor was serving a 15-year sentence for aggravated burglary. While in the cabin, Taylor called a fellow prisoner from the Orange Street Community Correction Center in Salt Lake City and told the person that they were planning to burglarize some cabins, and while they were at it, they were going to wait for the people to come home so that they could shoot them and then take their car. Whoa. So, so this was planned. So he hadn't had previous record of murder or anything like that. Just, you know, obviously aggravated assault or burglary, mm-hmm. but this is the next level. This is a big next level. So as Lene, Kay, and Beth finished their shopping and headed home, they had no idea the danger that awaited them. The trio were the first to arrive to the cabin, and as they made their way through the snow and bitter cold, it was freezing cold. They began to approach the front door. Lene was the first to reach the front door, and she asked her mom to hurry and unlock the door because her hands were freezing cold. She was going to run them under some warm water and then head back outside to get the rest of their belongings. So she's standing at the top of the stairs on the porch at the front door where there's a window, and she sees a flash of movement near the refrigerator in the kitchen. She assumed one of her cousins had arrived and that they were planning to hide and jump out at her when she came inside just to scare her in good fun. So as she got inside, she began to set her things down. Lene watched in horror as a frizzy-haired man in a gray sweatshirt came out from his hiding spot behind the refrigerator. He was holding a gun and he pointed it at her. So her first thought was that he was going to rob them and just be on his way. So now her mom is second to come up. So she's approaching the front door. She gets to the top of the stairs and another man comes out of hiding. He's coming out from the back bedroom. He wore thick Coke bottle glasses. He was also holding a gun. Kay asked the men what they wanted and told them they could have whatever they wanted. Just get out, take my things and leave. So seconds after Kay finished speaking, without any warning or hesitation, Taylor shot Beth and Kay. So Kay is shot first, and then Grandma Beth is coming up next, and she is getting shot. 
they're getting shot within three minutes of this whole situation happening. Man. So there wasn't much of an interaction. Talk about going from like just thinking something playful happening to all of a sudden people yes. possibly losing their lives. It all happened extremely quickly. So again, they're being shot before they can even grasp what was happening. Lene remembers watching in horror as her mom fell to the ground. And the next thing she knew, she looked over her shoulder and saw her grandmother get shot in the head. She said that blood sprayed everywhere and her grandmother gasped for breath. Holy cow, what a freaking nightmare. Horrific, and this came from Linnea's mouth, this description of what happened. She said that everything seemed to be moving in slow motion as her mom grasped at her chest and said, I've been shot. The room suddenly grew very, very still, and Linnea knew at that point that both her mom and her grandmother were gone. Wow. Despite the trauma that she had just experienced, Lene began to quickly think. She was thinking ahead, trying to figure out how the rest of her family could get spared because she knew that her sister and her dad were right behind them, coming up the mountain on their own snowmobiles. So she started to spin the wheels in her mind of, how can I get these guys out of here before they arrive? So she thought, about the car, the family car that was parked a couple miles away. She knew that her dad kept the keys to the car under the doormat. So she's trying to think, okay, let's get them out of here before they can come. And as she's having these thoughts, she could hear the the snowmobile in the distance with her mom or with her sister and her dad approaching. So she knew it wasn't going to happen. She knew they would get there before they they could leave. Yeah, before any kind of plan could be put together. So as she's hearing the snowmobile, so was the man in the gray sweatshirt. And he grabbed Lene from behind. He put his arm around her neck and held his gun to the back of her body. So despite her efforts, Rolf and Trish pulled into the driveway. And one of the men immediately jumped from the garage. He was wearing a full ski mask. And he ordered them inside the cabin. This was when Rolf saw, to his horror, that his older daughter was already inside and being held captive. Lene said that Rolf saw tears in her eyes. They shared this unspoken communication, and at that point, Rolf knew that something terrible had happened to his wife and his mother-in-law. So the men asked Rolf if he had any money, and Rolf took whatever he had from his pockets. He threw it to the ground. Deli was the man in the thick Coke bottle glasses. He was instructed by Taylor to shoot Rolf. He cocked his gun, but then he refused to fire. Taylor, who was restraining Lene, pulled his gun out, pointed it at Rolf, and pulled the trigger once. It didn't fire, so he pulled it again. It also did not fire. On his third attempt, they remember hearing a blast that was so loud that they could actually feel it. So the third shot hit Rolf in the face, and he immediately crumpled to the ground. Lene remembers feeling convinced that her father was dead, just as her mother and her grandmother were. And again, this is all happening in less than probably 10 minutes, all of this. So they're coming in to celebrate Christmas, and now three members of her family are gone, and she doesn't know what's going to happen to her and her sister. So as Lene looked around the cabin, she could tell that the men had had been there for a while. They just hadn't come in and, you know, oh, they happened upon them during a robbery. She could tell that they had settled into their cabin. Food had been eaten. Christmas presents had been torn open. She could tell that they had not been startled upon their arrival, that they had actually sat and waited for them to arrive. Mm -hmm. She could not imagine what horror awaited her and her sister. Well, clearly they're fine with killing at least the one dude. I mean, without a thought. Did the one guy kill all of them so far? 
Um, it's not entirely clear who shot all three bullets because it sounded like they both did it. Okay. Um, so it's interesting that the one guy with the shotgun wouldn't uh, shoot Rolf. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I mean, you're going from just coming in with your groceries to three of your family members in your head are dead. Gone. Oh. So the cabin was always fully stocked with gas cans because they had to utilize their snowmobiles to get to their location. So the girls watched as the men began to scurry around and they were pouring gas around the cabin. They then set it on fire. Like, what the hell is wrong with these guys? I mean, I okay, I get you're hot on your luck. You know, you're going to burglarize people. I don't get it. I don't, I'm not supporting burglary, obviously. But like, that's one thing. But coming into a family's like home and murdering them, that's right. I, like out of this world. Um, just unbelievable. So the fire began to blaze and the smoke alarms blared. At this point, the men had a sense of urgency. Of course, the, the place is burning. So they told Trish and Lene that they needed to hurry and load up the snowmobile so that they could get out of there. They both listened to their instructions and hoped they would eventually be able to make their escape. So the men forced Lene and Trish out of the house. They were just going to leave Rolf for dead. Lene and Trish were each forced to drive a snowmobile, a man riding behind each of them. So at this point, someone in a nearby cabin heard the gunshots. Now they're looking out their window and they see a couple of snowmobiles riding away. So they called police. Nice. So Trish felt sure that she and her sister were going to be murdered next. She basically imagined that it would happen once they got to their family car, they got what they wanted, and now they wouldn't need them any longer. That's what they're imagining as they're setting off on these snowmobiles. And a decent idea might be to go run it into like a tree or something, like jump off right before it hits it. I mean, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. I would never have, you know, you'd be, I'd be scared shitless, basically. Yeah, so but. you actually just read my next line. Oh. So this was what Trish was thinking. She was thinking, how can I wreck this snowmobile to get this guy Hell off yeah. of it? Good idea. But she's in control of one snowmobile while her sister's in control of the other. She doesn't want to do something that's going to put her sister's life in jeopardy. Smart. She wanted to stay there with her sister. So you drop back, maybe. So she just continued on and she expected that she and Lene were just going to be murdered. That's, I mean, she just couldn't see any way out of this. And again, she couldn't bring herself to wreck the snowmobile because she did not want to do anything to compromise her sister's life. I get it. So she knew at that moment in time, they were in the middle of the mountains. There was no one to help them and there was nowhere safe to go. As they made their way down to the gate of the main road, Lene and Trish saw Uncle Randy Zorn. He was standing at the gate. He had just arrived. He was going to be visiting with the family. So Randy spotted his nieces on the snowmobiles. His first thought was, oh my goodness, they've got boyfriends. He th- he's thinking they're taking a couple of boyfriends out for a spin on the snowmobiles. Sure, your first thought wouldn't be, oh look, two murderers. Of course he wouldn't. So when Randy spotted his nieces on the snowmobiles, he began, he began to wave at them, greeting them and saying hello. So Lene and Trish knew that these guys shot their family dead without blinking their eyes. And if they recognized and stopped to talk to their uncle, he would be the next victim. Yeah. So they simply ignored him and just sped by. So obviously, Randy is finding this very strange that his own nieces would just completely ignore him like that. So when the man on the back of um, the snowmobile asked who that was, Trish lied and said it must have just been some friendly person who lives up there. So when they reached the spot where they parked the family car, the men forced them into the back of the car. So they each have their gun, but they noticed that one of the men was putting 
they're, they're gone into the trunk. And when he saw that she saw this, he opened his coat and showed her that he also had a knife. And he warned her that he was just as good as using his knife as he was his gun. So basically, don't try anything funny. So as they were pulling away, Randy saw the family's Lincoln pull out and he's seeing Lene in the back. He began waving and gesturing for them to stop. Lene and Trish continued to ignore their uncle, absolutely sure that he would be killed if they acknowledged him. So the car drove right by Randy, and again, he is like just baffled. He couldn't understand what was going on and why his nieces were acting so strangely. Yeah, that's good. Good idea to ignore him and for good Uncle Randy to think, well, something's up. Right. So as he continued to process what was happening, he saw another snowmobile approaching. Randy noticed that the driver of the snowmobile was absolutely not dressed for the sub-zero temperatures. This person was not wearing a helmet. They weren't wearing a coat or gloves. As the snowmobile got closer, he was able to recognize his brother, Rolf. Yes, I was hoping that would be Rolf. Oh, wow. What a crazy... I mean, he's got so much adrenaline pumping. His daughters mm-hmm. have just been taken. His wife is dead. His mother or mother-in-law mother-in-law is dead. Oh, my gosh. So he sees his brother and sees that his face is covered in blood. Randy was shocked at the sight of Rolf. He described his face as huge and just full of blood. His eye was swollen shut and blood icicles just hung off of his face. Mm -hmm. Rolf, who had miraculously survived not only being shot in the face, but he had also been set on fire. Oh, my God. He had told Randy what happened back at the cabin and the fact that his wife and mother-in-law had been killed and his daughters had been taken hostage. So now Randy is figuring out what the reason why his nieces were acting the way they were. So what Lene and Trish, who are now in the back of the family car, didn't know at that moment was that after their dad had been shot, he played dead. So after the, they had left, he managed to struggle to the bathroom where he tore off his burning snowsuit. He jumped in the shower to put out the flames. Wow. He then immediately jumped onto the snowmobile in hopes that he could save his daughters. Wow, what a hero. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, it's like, you know, it's so... You'd think like, okay, I just want to help my daughters and you know get try to get up, but it's like so smart to play dead mm-hmm. so that you have the opportunity to do it. Otherwise, they would have shot him again. Oh, he would have been killed right away. It's got to be so hard to be sitting there knowing your daughters are being taken mm-hmm. and bleeding profusely from your face and not being able to see out of one eyeball. And in the meantime, like having enough wherewithal to put out your like actively burning, by the way. Yep. And then having enough to get into that shower, get your fire out, and go take off after your daughters. What an awesome, what an incredible, heroic effort. So Randy, seeing that Rolf was terribly injured, ushered Rolf into the back seat of his car as he climbed into the driver's seat. Despite the fact that it was only 1990, Randy's car was equipped with a cell phone, so he was able to utilize it to call 911. However, in that area in the canyon... The service was just terribly, or terrible, I should say. So Randy is just calling repeatedly until he finally connects. So as he continues to call, Randy caught up to the Lincoln and tried to quickly brainstorm how to handle the situation. Because when he caught up to the Lincoln, he hadn't yet connected to 911. And he thought in his head he might not. 
So he's thinking, how do I handle this? Do I run the car off the road? But then he could kill his nieces. Yeah, it's not the move. It, it's a very terrible situation. So when the fi- when the call finally connected, Randy told the Summit County Sheriff's Department the direction in which the murderers were headed. As he explained that he also needed a medic helicopter like right away because his brother had been injured, then the call dropped before he could even say that. So Randy quickly found a gas station because at this point in time, he knows that the police are onto the guys. They're handling that situation. He's got to help to save his brother. So he finds a a gas station, uses a payphone, and calls 911, tells them the situation, and then they did get help to come. Rolf was airlifted to a hospital in critical condition. So as authorities caught up with the killers, a terrifying 90-mile-per-hour pursuit began through several towns. Yeah, because these guys are obviously out of their minds. They're going to do anything to stay away from the cops. They know they're screwed. Completely capable of doing anything at this point in time. At this point, death is just as equal an option as stopping. Actually, more of an option than stopping. Mm -hmm. So they're doing this high-speed car chase through multiple towns. Obviously, there's a lot of snow on the ground in the area. So the attackers lost control of the car and they tumbled down an embankment. And at this point in time, the girls don't even know if the police are aware of the fact that they're being held hostage. So they were amazingly not injured in the car accident. Wow. So they crawled out of the car and they look up and there's all these police and other people up at the top holding guns, pointing them down at them. You're like, don't shoot, we're in here. So they immediately raised their hands and told the police that they were being held hostage. Police surrounded the car and the men surrendered. They said that they were absolute cowards cowards once they were caught. Pissed their pants, probably little little puss bags. So Lene begged the officers to just shoot the men. She was screaming, and I could totally picture Absolutely. Like, please, pretend they have a gun on them. Shoot them both in the head. Please. They killed our whole family. Shoot them. Shoot them. So she's screaming at the police, please shoot them. Please. They they just killed my mom, my dad, and my grandma, because at this point in time, they have no idea that their dad came down the mountain on that snowmobile. So in their mind, both of their parents and their grandma are gone by the hands of these guys. And the police wish they could, you know, I'm sure, you know, they want to be like, we want to help you. But we can't. can't. So Lene and Trish soon learned that not only had their father been shot, he had been doused with gasoline. As these guys were dousing the cabin, they also doused Rolf. They set him on fire along with the cabin. And again, Rolf somehow found the strength to blindly, and when I say blindly, he had been shot in the face. His eye was swollen shut. He had blood pouring down his face. He couldn't even really see what he was doing. Well, Uncle Randy also said his face was so big because of the swelling. swelling. I mean, I imagine a huge pie face. Mm -hmm. So hard. So Rolf is blindly flying down the mountain on a snowmobile to save his daughters. They always knew that their dad was their hero. But with this knowledge, it just put an exclamation point on this fact. And they were just beyond enamored with their father. So after being arrested, the men were charged with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of attempted first-degree murder, and two counts of aggravated kidnapping. They were also charged with aggravated assault, theft, arson, and failure to heed police signal to stop. Oh, that's an important one. Right. (laughs) They're just tacking whatever they can on. Oh, my God. These guys deserve to be, like, lined up and fired upon by, like, the entire community. Absolute monsters. So police later discovered that after the men had gone on the run, 
when they had left the halfway house, they hitchhiked to this particular spot because Taylor's family owned a cabin in the area at some point in time. So he was familiar with this location. That's why they chose it. And after spending several days on the mountain, they had been breaking into various empty cabins. Authorities theorized that perhaps they saw the Teed family leaving that day on their snowmobiles. They broke into that particular cabin so that they could wait for them to come back home. And get their car to drive away. Mm -hmm. So as police began to search the crime scene, they found a 12 to 18 inch puddle of blood in the garage that had quickly just frozen solid. The first deputy to arrive at the scene immediately smelled burning hair and clothing as they made their way through the cabin. Bullet holes littered the walls across from the stairwell, and the cabin looked like a mini war zone. So only hours earlier, it had been a picturesque spot to spend Christmas together. Now it looks like a war zone. The spot of the greatest nightmare in this family's history. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully ever, because, you know, you'd never want anything worse than this to happen. But man alive, what a crazy turn of events. So as the house was searched, the police found that the top floor was on fire and the once peaceful and cozy cabin was now covered in blood. The living room carpet was saturated in blood, and based on the crime scene, police could see that after the women were killed, the men dragged their bodies across the living room floor and onto the deck outside. They had covered them with a blanket and snow to hide what they had done. Blood pooled on the wooden planks of the patio and oozed through and they formed bloody icicles that just hung from the bottom of the deck. It was just sick and disturbing and horrifying. I mean, if I'm that family, I'm like, let the place burn to the ground and never want to see it again. You know, you don't want to be reminded of that. So authorities' number one concern was to rescue anyone in the cabin because they don't have the details of who was there and what was going on. So their number one thing was if there's anyone that's alive, we need to provide them assistance. And then number two, we need to preserve all the evidence. So one of the most significant pieces of evidence was a VHS tape that they found inside of a video camera. So they're coming upon this video camera. They have no idea what this tape holds. So as investigators started to play the tape, they expected to see smiling faces from a family's home video. Instead, they see the faces of the murderers sitting by the family's Christmas tree, opening their presents. So they recorded themselves. They recorded themselves doing this. Oh my God. Thank God for idiot criminals. This is fantastic. So in the video, it's shot by Deli, and you could see an armed tailor just happily ripping through this family's Christmas presents. I mean, I wouldn't believe if you told me this. This is something that would be in like Home Alone. You yeah. Know, where it's like, yeah, let's record ourselves. Hey, get it load, Merv. Marv, uh, we're going to open up the presents. Hey, like- well, and the whole idea of Home Alone is they're complete idiots. Right. So that's exactly what you're talking about here. Ugh. And this video is available online to see these monsters just sitting by this family's Christmas tree. It's disgusting. No, thanks. So instead of celebrating Christmas together in their cozy cabin as they planned, three days after Christmas, Beth Potts was laid to rest. Lene remembers her grandmother as an energetic woman who was fun. She was happy and vivacious. She describes her as being a woman that was just full of life. She remembers that her grandmother would give her at-home perms that were truly atrocious looking back. And, you know, she has those fond memories of her grandmother. And Kay was laid to rest on the same day as her mother. Kay was known to be an extremely devoted mother. She put her children at the top priority of her life. Trisha describes her mom as the perfect friend. She was someone who was never judgmental and always willing to open her home with love. 
the case was a, never a question of who done it. We knew who done it. Yeah, talk about an easy, you know, open and shut case. So what the challenge was was determining what criminal act each suspect committed. Mm. So from Lene's perspective, both men were equally responsible. Obviously, she was there through the whole thing. She witnessed everything. Police learned that Von Taylor had come from a normal, decent family. He had a typical childhood, but at some point he started to get in trouble with the law. Neither man was known to have a violent history, like you mentioned in the beginning. So about five months after this horrific home invasion, Von Taylor pleaded guilty to two counts of capital murder. There was no question, you know, the the evidence was there. So the state dropped all the other charges against him in exchange for his guilty plea. He went to trial before a jury, and during his testimony, he was argumentative, and he had very convenient memory lapses answering, it happened so quick, I don't know. The jury decided that he should receive the death penalty for each murder. During his time in court, Taylor showed zero remorse. He had no regard for life whatsoever. He had no no sorry for what he had done. Zero. It's insane. Like uh, anybody listening to this who's of sound mind, like you can't picture how that would even be possible. How? How? How is that not possible? So when Edward Stephen Deli went to trial just a couple of weeks after Taylor was sentenced, his lawyer argued that it was Taylor who did all of the shooting. Investigators assumed he would also be convicted of first-degree murder, and instead he was convicted of second-degree murder due to the holdout of one juror. One. Oh, you dickhead. So the family was stunned. They were sickened by this decision. They wanted this man to be held accountable for what he had done, just like Taylor was being held responsible. So with that decision, Linnae felt that the courts did an injustice to her family. The other 11 members of the jury, they all felt he was guilty, but this one person held out. They did not want this family to have to face a second trial if they had come back with a hung jury. So they decided to just sentence for second degree murder. Can you imagine being that juror? Like, mm, there's just a bit of, I mean, I get it. I get If you're looking at factually, you know, sure. I, but the guy was there. I mean, he was just as guilty. Oh, I don't know. I guess it's hard to say. But mm-hmm. like, what if he was just like the whole time you picture him being like, no, no, we shouldn't kill them. You know, I'm sure that's what the defense attorneys right. came out with. They were. And, you know, Taylor was the one. No, we have to kill them. You mm-hmm. know, imagine being in that scenario. And you're like, emotionally, yeah, this guy should be dead. Right. But like factually with the law, should he absolutely be killed? I would be a terrible juror. Absolutely terrible because I'm a very emotional person. I have knee jerk reactions. Uh, like, you are very well thought out. You and I are so different in that way. I was just thinking I might be that one juror that would be like, mm, it's not beyond a shadow of a doubt. And mm-hmm. by the law, this guy cannot be convicted of that. And I'd be that. like, fry his ass. <laughs> yeah, you would. I would. Yeah. So because he was sentenced with second degree murder, the death penalty was no longer an option. And the family wanted the death penalty for both of them. Wow. So they were very upset with this decision. So during the sentencing, the judge addressed him by saying, first and foremost, I am struck by the senselessness and brutality of this crime. In a sense, we're all victims. Decent law-abiding citizens must walk our streets in fear. And now we're fearful within the walls of our own homes. The judge recommended that he spend the rest of his life behind bars. He gave him the maximum terms under Utah's law for each of his nine felonies. He ordered that they be served consecutively. 
Because of this, he will spend a minimum of 62 years in prison. The earliest he can possibly be released from prison is 2053, and Judge Noel said that he would recommend that Delhi never be paroled. So both Trisha and Lene testified at their trials. These girls are absolute warrior badasses. Sure. Despite their young ages and the trauma that they had suffered. How old were they? Ballpark? At the time of the crime, they were 16 and 20. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Young. Well, that's smart. Really smart thinking on both of their behalfs. I mean, truly remarkable. So they were phenomenal witnesses. As they described the horrors and what they had lived through that day, they were sure about the things that they had seen. They spoke with conviction in a detailed and unemotional way, which I'm sure was very, very hard. So Lene did resent the fact that as a victim, she was required to handle the gun that had been used to murder her mom and grandma. She actually had to hold it and demonstrate how the the person, you know, did the firing. And that's probably trying to tug at the emotional side of the jurors. I mean, that's traumatizing. I, I kind of disagree with that whole thing. Like, it must have been her lawyer that required that, because, or maybe the defense lawyer that was trying to get her. I, I don't like that at all. I don't like that. So when Rolf Teed came to testify, Trish remembers seeing the shocked look on Deli's face. It was clear at that moment that he was completely unaware that her father had survived. Good. And at that point, Trish felt like they had won. Yeah. So I mean, even though they lost two loved ones, you know, but you want to get back at him somehow. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you mother effer. You look, want him to pay for what he did. You failed. Look, yeah. you, you even tried to burn my dad and he said no because yep. he's awesome. Rolf is a badass. Uh, obviously, it's not like the mother or grandma said yes or anything, of course but like not. You, you screwed up yeah. you know, in many times, many ways. So in 2001, Delhi wrote a letter to the victim's family and said that he would have pleaded guilty to the crimes, but his lawyer would not allow him to do so. He explained that it was only his plan to burglarize the cabin. He never had an, any intention of hurting anyone, and he wrote, I wanted to steal money, not a life. I didn't either. He claims that Taylor took the 44 caliber gun from Delhi's holster and shot the victims. I could only accept what happened and get on with it, is what he said, or what he, what he wrote, I should say. So it took Lene over nine years to respond to his letter, and by that point, she had probably read it about 30 times. She has since chosen to forgive him in order to regain her freedom. She acknowledges that forgiving him does not mean forgetting what happened and what he did and what he was responsible for. The family plans to petition the Board of Pardons to prevent Delhi from ever being set free. They feel, despite the fact that the years have gone by, even if he's released as, say, a 70-year-old, that he's still capable of doing something horrific to somebody else. They want him to stay behind bars. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but uh, I mean, it doesn't matter whether he's capable or not. He created a horrible thing and he deserves to stay in jail his whole life. He took two lives from their family. Why should he live free? Did they, did either of them see Delhi shoot? You know, in all of my research, all of it, and I combed through so many articles, it never clearly said who shot what. It sounds like for sure that they saw Delhi not shoot Rolf. Yes. So it sound, that's the factual thing that we mm -hmm. know. He and, and I think that's a big thing in the defense is like he could have shot Rolf. He did not because he, did he not. didn't shoot anybody. And like if I'm the defense lawyer, I'm like he didn't have the guts to do it. He didn't never wanted to kill anybody. He wasn't here to do this. Yeah. And there was, was ballistics testing and stuff like that to sh show what came from what gun. 
And it truly sounded like they both did shooting. Ah, yeah. okay. Well, that's that's interesting. And that's why the evidence is so important. So you mm-hmm. can put both people. I mean, you know, I initially said burn the whole place, but you need this evidence to be able to put thing, people away. Right. And that's why they wanted to truly figure out who did what. So throughout the years, Taylor has repeatedly appealed his sentence. During his third trip to Utah's Supreme Court, his current attorney claimed that the autopsies prove that he is factually innocent, even though he himself has admitted to firing the first shots. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So he claims that the fatal wounds came from Delhi's gun. So Delhi's gun absolutely shot. It did. It logistically showed that in the ballistics um, searches. Interesting. So his story was probably it was like a warning shot. I never wanted to kill them. But you don't actually fire unless you have yeah. intent to kill. Like Delhi's gun did. They it, teach you that in the class. It did shoot. What what bullet hit? You know, K and. Beth, I'm not entirely sure, but Deli absolutely fired his gun. Hmm. So, um, you know, he's saying that the fatal wounds came from Deli's gun and that Lene has been inconsistent with her accounts because, of course, Lene was in the cabin when it happened. Trish and Rolf were not. The state disputes this and he remains on death row. Nothing's changed there. Lene and Trish vow that they will be there on the day that he is executed. When that happens, who knows? Yeah, maybe never, but hopefully, I mean, whatever, I'll leave that to them. But, and it's good that they forgave Delhi because it's a, that's important for yourself personally, Mm -hmm. just whatever you need to do to get through things better than that, more power to you. Right. So after Lene's first marriage ended in divorce, she remarried, or I should say she married her childhood sweetheart. She said that her husband, Nathan has changed her. She feels that because he opened his heart to her, it gave her the freedom to do the same. The couple has now, they have a blended family of nine and they're, you know, blissfully happy. Trisha is a divorced mother of two children. She says that when she looks into her children's eyes, she sees her mother and her father. She loves her life. She feels like that horrible day from 1990 does not define her, but has helped her to make who she is today. After the fire, Rolf worked to rebuild their cabin. And according to Trish and Lene, he made it even better than it was before. Rolf reminded his daughters that lightning never strikes twice in the same location. He assured them that they were going to be safe. They still visit the cabin to this day. Despite the fact that Taylor and Deli took their mother and grandmother away, they will never take that place from them that they saw as their, you know, escape from reality, their tranquility. They still go to that and love it to this day. The girls describe the cabin as magical and healing. Rolf lived a very full life, a happy life. He enjoyed his girls and his grandchildren. When he was diagnosed with cancer, the whole family came together. The girls described the last six to eight weeks of their father's life as absolutely incredible. In 2008, he passed away with his family by his side. And that is the horrible story of the Christmas cabin nightmare. Man, that's uh, that's really tough. I must say that you know when when you tell a story, I really appreciate how you talk about the victims and give us a little background into their lives and like you know what type of people the the people that are no longer with us right. were because it's important to remember them. And um, from what I read, their grandmother had been injured in a car accident that had killed her husband, and it it really injured her to the fact that she was partially disabled. She had lost a lot of her vision. And despite that, she was this vivacious woman. And then these monsters just decide to break into a cabin 
and do this to a family that they don't know. I mean, it's just mind boggling to me. And like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, you know, the holidays are a tough time for a lot of people. It puts things into perspective, too. It's like, okay, you know, I was fired from my job, but, you know, at least I still have my family. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have anybody that you can count on, then, you know, it's something to really appreciate. And not saying that, you know, your life doesn't matter and being, you know, losing a job doesn't matter because these people lost their family. Like, all that stuff matters. Mm -hmm. But try to look at the big picture. And And it'll be better soon. I'm sorry. I just cut you off. But I know you had mentioned something about, you know, never going back to that cabin. So I'm sure you were surprised to hear that Rolf rebuilt it. Yeah, I was thinking that as you were saying it. But the point was that these guys took away so much in their life and they were not going to allow them to take away this place that was so special and important to their family. They weren't going to allow that. I mean, everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can use it as a point of power mm-hmm. you know you can and that's that's really powerful say and it's good that it burned because it's like okay we rebuilt it yes you know kind of like our family burned to the ground that same day yeah you know and then say we rebuilt it we're going to rebuild our family we're going to move forward your your mom and your grandma would have wanted us to continue celebrating here right and it's like a rebirth almost yeah symbolic yeah like you said of a rebirth a new fresh start that's beautiful a new life because their life will never be the same right after that fateful day it's like a before and an after yeah so it's just a horrible you know tragic case but yeah so well thank you for telling their story it's important to remember all these stories unfortunately and we want to say thank you to our latest crime and coffee couple club members on patreon uh to laura Megan and Teresa, welcome to the club. Um, pull out your cup of coffee and start listening to us. We appreciate each and every one of you. We hope everybody has a safe and happy holiday. Appreciate the little things. Appreciate each other. Uh, maybe give somebody a little kiss on the cheek, a little hug. Um, you and know. I know it's a stressful time because, you know, families are coming together and there's all the different dynamics and personalities. And We feel that just like you do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and we're going to make it a good one. That's right. Whether we laugh to or not, but it, no, it's all good. So, yeah, we all have our challenges, but we just hope everybody's good out there and, you know, just know, hey, we all care about each other. We're all in this together on this earth. Yep. And until next time, bye. bye.